Hey folks, thanks for coming back for another episode of the podcast. I appreciate it and love the feedback I've been getting. If this is your first time, welcome too. There are a ton of back episodes to listen to. Please take a moment and stop now though and think about supporting the show. You can do so through Buy Me a Coffee, e-transfer, or in PayPal. The money helps to make sure the podcast is accessible through transcriptions and it also supports me doing the work. This episode is the halfway point of the spring season of six episodes, and we are falling behind on funding the transcripts. So please don't think I'll get to it. Go and do it now. The links are in the show notes. Welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here today with Susan Chang and Mel Malin. Um, and, you know, I know uh, both of them from the tarot conference world. Uh, and uh, I've been sort of interested, really, I mean, my, my first love was esoteric things. And my interest in it sort of bobs and weaves as I go through time these days. But I thought it'd be interesting to uh, have both of them on to have a chat about esotericism and you know what it's about and and so on and why people might be interested or not interested and uh you know but first of all let's start you know whoever would like to go first um you know if people don't know you uh susan and mel who are you you know what are you what are you about what are you up to yeah mel why don't why don't you go first oh you did this to me last time okay um some friend (laughs) yeah what do i say well um i'm an artist uh, I, I write a little, but I'm really more into the art than I am the writing part of things. Um, I've been into esoteric since I was a child. So um, I don't, that's all I have to say for now. All right. And um, so I'm T. Susan Chang, but everybody calls me Susie, as you know. I the T Susan Chang is just so that to distinguish me from all the millions of Susan Changs in the world having like incredibly common first and last name. I write books, as you know. Um, we've got the podcast, Fortune's Wheelhouse, a joint effort for several years now. I do readings, I teach tarot online, I make arcana cases and uh, esoteric perfumes bunch of stuff like that. And then I have like a real world job where I teach writing as well. um, And occasionally review cookbooks, but it's about 80 to 90% tarot at this point. That's great. Mm -hmm. I suppose I should mention that I've created a few decks just to bring it back to tarot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The whole reason why I'm actually probably here. So (laughs) Um, yeah, I've made a few tarot decks in my time. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, you make, uh, you make some beautiful stuff, Mel. It's really great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess maybe we'll start with the big question, right? Which is, which is, we were joking around about this before, before we started the official recording, but like, what's the, what's the point of esotericism, right? You know, Mm -hmm. and it's not a question that I ever asked myself because I discovered the wonderful world of Aleister Crowley when I was 12. And I spent, you know, probably a good decade predominantly only with his book, Magic and Theory and Practice and 777, 
trying to actually make sense of it and do things with it. You know, living in a small town in the eighties, there wasn't a lot of other options around. And I don't even know where I, like how I got onto this person. Maybe, maybe they were referenced in a, a fiction novel or something that I had read, but you know, f- so for me, tarot was always esoteric. Magic was always esoteric. You know, these ideas of spellcraft and other things that, that I actually do a lot more of these days than anything else um, weren't even a part of my repertoire. So I'm curious, you know, and, and Mel, you said you started out uh, at a young age, right? How did you find esotericism? I think it was through uh, my parents were hippies, you know, they were, <laughs> they were teenagers. And when they had me and I just found some interesting books on the bookshelf, um, astrology books, uh, the I Ching, things like that. And, you know, I was probably about five years old and I was picking up the ephemeris and trying to find my planets and, and looking them up in the book. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Mel also was like you, she was, you know, deeply steeped in thought for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I'm not sure, I'm sure it wasn't the only option, but it certainly seemed like the only option. It was the only thing I could ever find for a long time, you know? So. Mm-hmm before the the glory of the modern age with the internet yes. and 5 million <laughs> decks at our access, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Susan? How did you get into it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I think I had a much more sort of um, basic mainstream, boring kind of way in, you know, I think, uh, you know, for me, it wasn't really esotericism, but just the idea of tarot, generally the idea that there was something beyond this mundane and material world that that had me fascinated and um and it was for me you know a late development i really had to get over a hump to be even open to the idea that divination works that magic works that any of this works so um by the time i came to esotericism you know i mean to the correspondences and to ritual and to things like that, you know, it, I was, it was really a more recent development for me. So really in the last 10 years, I'd say, and I I have to say that, you know, the thing about esotericism is that it always appears to have a destination, right? It always appears to tell you that, you, you know, to connect with your higher self and your holy guardian angel and, you know, and to, um, there, there's, there's a very aspirational quality for it. But to me, um, trying to follow somebody else's prescription for self-actualization and perfection is not an easy thing to do, you know, it, and it doesn't always work. I mean, I think, I believe as practitioners, we actually have to kind of find our own way into every, you know, every world of making meaning for ourselves. And to me, that's what tarot is. It's a, it's a mechanism for making meaning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and the, as for the correspondences and for esotericism, you know, it's, to me, it is uh, really just a starting point, you know, it's not a prescription. It's a starting point for uh, a way to look at life, a way to develop a neurome, a neural network of things that go together 
And it's not the only way, you know, it's just one way and it happens to be there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. sort of a genetic code for a lot of modern tarot. So why not use it, you know, mm-hmm. but I definitely do not feel doctrinaire about, you know, this idea of using our particular version of esoteric tarot as the one and only way to get in. Sure. And maybe we should take a quick side note and sort of say, what do we mean by esotericism here, right? Um, and I think that what I mean by it, and you know, correct me if this is different from your understanding, is that there is this history, uh, especially in the West, you know, mm-hmm. in Europe and in North America, um, over the last, eh, it depends on where you want to count it, 150 years, maybe a little longer, of looking at things and looking for correlations between them. Yeah. And so the idea that there are 22 major arcana and there are 22 uh, paths on the tree of life in the Kabbalah is a significant thing that people have written a lot about um, that we can, we can understand that this card might be closely related to this astrological planet or to this time of the year or to this conjunction of planets in a sign and so on, uh, as well as to uh, all sorts of other systems of deities and incense and, colors and so on and so on and that collectively that stuff can be used in divination as well as in ritual and in other structures does that that sound sounds fair? great thank you for doing that because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think i could have on the spur of a moment you know and i i i really feel like and you know mel should 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 correct me if uh, if this is not the way she sees it but i sort of feel like what we do with the podcast and and the book is just a way of you know amassing a lot of this information and making it bioavailable to people, you know, to use as they want, you know, and it's just a starting point, but it's a really interesting one for a lot of, uh, for a lot of practitioners. And there's a lot of shared language that people already have, you know, because of whatever they're familiar with astrology or, you know, fewer are familiar with Kabbalah, but, you know, growing up in the West, we live and breathe a lot of this stuff without even knowing it. So it's there and it's available and um, just make it avail- more available for people to use is, is the way I see it. And it's a, it's a structure and a language. It's almost like, you know, if you have a word that means something in one language, let's say tarot is a language and we have this word and it's, you know, the hanged man. And then, you know, you could say the Kabbalah part of it, this language and does it mean the does that word mean in this language the exact same thing as it means in that other language not quite mm-hmm. but it's close you know and and so each of these systems is a sort of language and you can find the common meanings and the differences and just use it as a structure for exploration really yeah and i i think that you know when when i'm actually doing readings a lot of the structure just kind of falls away right you know it's sort of there like you're a musician you know how it is you practice chords you practice scales but at the moment that you're playing it's not like you're thinking about that kind of stuff it's just kind of there and so i sort of feel like that the structure of esoteric tarot has helped to shape the way i view the cards as a reader but i try not to you know, lean in too hard into that at the moment, at the oracular moment, because it might, you know, kind of drown things out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, try to stay open. Yeah, I certainly remember when I was uh, first starting as a professional reader. And sometimes I'd be sitting there and be like, huh, (laughs) 
I don't even know what to say right now. I'm like, well, let's talk about Mars and Aries. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? So Mars <laughs> and Aries, very blah, blah, and, you know, and it's like, oh, well, there's a thing, right? There's an inroad, you know? And exactly, I think that, yeah. yeah, it's a door opener. Yeah. Right. And it's, and I think that one of the things that I've certainly benefit from uh, as a reader uh, and, and on other levels too, is having this sort of default language to fall back on when nothing else is there. Right. You know, and I think people, people who are learning cards often ask me like, how much do you need to memorize? And the answer <laughs> is maybe nothing, like depending right. on how you read, right. maybe nothing, yeah. right? Maybe nothing. However, right. Especially if you're going to be much more maybe spirit driven or psychic driven, it sure is nice to have some knowledge when you reach for that spirit energy stuff. And it's not there because my experiences yeah. and other people's may vary that that stuff is not always there, not always accessible. So therefore having a body of knowledge really is fruitful, you know? Yeah. And I really believe that, you know, tarot, like all cosmological systems, whether it's astrology or a tree of life or whatever, it's just a way of looking at the entire world. You know, the entire world is in the tarot. It's the book of life. And when we try to read that book, it's, not helpful to sort of say, well, this can only mean this, or this can only mean that. It just limits us. And so one of the things I teach in my online tarot course, The Living Tarot, is backwards tarot. You know, you take the world and you say, well, how would that look in tarot? If I wanted to express this in tarot, what would it look like? And there's an assumption, I believe, that uh, that it's just a way of talking about the world around you. So if you can do that, if you can develop that language, uh, using whatever structure or not structure, you know, some people can have in access to their entire worldview without the aid of, of ladders and systems, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But if you can do that, then, you know, then you never run dry. Then you always have something to say when it comes to the reading. You always have access to everything in the world that you know, which, of course, is not everything in the world that everyone knows, but sure. something yeah. that might be helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... Um... Spent a lot of time when I was studying both Kabbalah and astrology and tarot in the beginning, because I kind of studied them all intermingled, uh, like looking at TV shows and be like, all right, on Star Trek, yes. who's, who's what, which planet, <laughs> which, which, which Sephiroth, which temp, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. I think that, I think that that stuff is so instructive. And I think that, you know, my, my only hesitance about it is where people start to take it too literally, right? Yes. You yes. know, where it goes from being, this is a way in which we could talk about stuff and we could understand that there's a similarity of reference or similarity of expression, um, yeah. but that that similarity of expression does not equal, you know, Worf equals Aries. Right, right? it's not one-to-one. -one. Yeah, know, like, yeah. You know, there are too yeah. many things that are just different there for that to be true, even though- But that's really nice. I, I really like that. Yeah, it's a meaningful <laughs> comparison, right? I have this uh, I have this lesson that I teach in my course called What's Your Jam? And it's like, I have people do their own correspondences between the thing they're super into and, you know, and the cards. And I've had people like, do I had one person do this amazing like spreadsheet of um, all the possible fonts they could think of correlated to a different card. I've had people do characters from The Walking Dead, you know, characters from Game of Thrones and uh, assigning them to court cards or the majors or whatever. It's fun. You know, it's mm -hmm. good to think that way. And but as you say, not to get too hung up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I guess I want to circle back to something I think you mentioned earlier. 
which is a sort of idea of uh, moving towards something through esotericism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because obviously with esoteric tarot, the well, I won't even say obviously, but perhaps with esoteric tarot, the idea of moving towards something is less centered in that. But when we talk about esotericism in general and like Western ceremonial stuff, mm-hmm. there is often this idea of moving towards something as part of it right yeah Um, yeah. that idea of communication with this idea of your guardian angel this idea of higher levels of consciousness and so on i'm curious what the two of you think about that mel you want to go first on this one yeah you always do okay uh yeah okay let me let me cue up the hard question and then i'm just going to pass that straight to mel so yeah, I don't look at tarot specifically as a means of achieving some sort of enlightened state that's ever higher and leading towards some sort of goal. What it does do for me is it smooths the ways, it opens the ways, it helps you to navigate, it gives you a, a language and a bridge a way to like for example every day i draw two cards so does susie i believe we both mm-hmm. have this practice yep. of doing a two card daily draw yep. and i no longer ask myself when i draw those cards well you know what what's you know what's going to happen today or what are the cards for the day i ask what energy do i get to work with today mm. and that's a way of framing so no matter what cards you get, it's, it's a challenge. You know, what do I get to deal with today? What do I, what do I get to explore today? And how can I use that to my best advantage, no matter what card it is. And by using the prevalent energies that are, that are present for you in a day, you can, I believe you can get to a better place in general through your day and in your life than you would if you were just always flying blind. That's a reasonable goal. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's kind of the same thing with astrology. You know, you see where the planets are today and what's going on and it gives you a little bit of foreknowledge, some way of framing things differently. So that when things occur, you can go, oh, okay, I I know what this is. And uh, maybe come up with a more appropriate way of of dealing with things. Mm -hmm. And maybe even if you're good at it and lucky, a little advantage, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, when perhaps not to schedule something or to schedule something, you know, and you get that just little bit of advantage, little bit of smoothing out of your life ideally anyway and where does where does magic and ritual fit into that for you that's a good question well i currently have this daily practice of ritual you know i do the banishing that is good to do anyway but then i do an invocation of things and it might be different every day it it might be based on what planetary hour it is or day it is or it might be something that's happening in my own chart like a transit 
like right now I'm working with a um, pretty severe transit of Saturn. <laughs> and, and so there's things you can do to, to mitigate and, and uh, make Saturn happy and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And, and it's all just, I don't know. It's, it's not so that I can achieve some enlightened state. It's so that I can be stronger and better able to withstand whatever life throws at me. I dig that a lot. I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. How about you, Susie? Well, for me, you know, magic and divination generally are about the production of meaning um, more than anything else. I think the great affliction of our time is meaninglessness, you know, and um, and to me, the practice is about feeling like I belong in this world and that there is a sense that I am part of a whole um, and that I'm an expression of the whole, that I have a place and um, some agency, but also something comes through me, something, the spirit of the world, the anima mundi expresses itself through me as well. It's not there for me to harness and exploit, right? It's just, I'm a part of it. And, you know, to me, to be in conversation with that spirit is more than I could ever ask for, just on its own. Right. And to me, you know, when when we read in ceremonial magic about conversation with your holy guardian angel, which sounds like a very particular thing with wings you know, and, sure. and light and all sorts of stuff to me, what how is that different from being able to find meaning in life? You know, to me, the search for um, for for something larger the sense of being in a sort of complex narrative that the world is, mm. the world is a story and I am a story within it and being enmeshed in that, that's what I want to have a sense of in my work. And that's what tarot does for me, both, um, both on the divination side and in, in whatever magic and ritual work I do, but every tarot, um, every tarot draw that I do I do spell work with it as a part of engaging with that nar narrative as a part of saying, you know, it's not, you know, Mel has talked about tarot as a language. If it's a language, then you get to talk, you get to have conversations, you get to argue, mm -hmm. you know, you get to persuade, you get to compel, and you may not always succeed, but to be in that conversation is all that I want. So, you know, every day there's a little bit of a couplet, you know, I work with words. So there's a couplet that goes with every, every draw um, in order to kind of have my two cents, literally. Yeah. But how about you? I mean, has, has divination and magic, I always want to ask people this, has, have divination and magic made your life better? Sure. Sure they have. <laughs> yeah. First I, has... first I want to sidetrack that and then we can come mm -hmm. back to me. But I want to okay. sort of say, so it's interesting to me, and perhaps this is just a linguistic thing, but um, what I hear in what you're saying versus mm -hmm. what I hear in what Mel is saying is um, your sounds very much like mysticism to me, mm. almost, right? And, you know, I, 
I recorded as part of this series uh, an interview with Jason Miller, um, and we actually spent a lot of time. The, the The starting point of our conversation in that session was how do we understand what we're doing, and how and what are the some of the challenges we get into maybe if we mm -hmm. misidentify what we're doing, right? Mysticism versus magic, you know, religion mm -hmm. versus something else, you know, and mm -hmm. the ways in which those sort of different qualities of practices. Um, not that it matters. Ultimately, people do whatever they want. And that's fine, you know, mm -hmm. but how sometimes, you know, and I often find in readings where I'm like, well, what magic did you do about that? And the person tells me and I'm like, you sound like Rumi here, you don't sound like you're working magic. <laughs> and that's beautiful and fine. But you're not where's where's the action and the change in that mm -hmm. versus the communion, you know, and I'm mm. curious if that makes any sense in what you're talking about because i hear mm -hmm. a lot of this sort of idea of connection and communion with the whole and, mm -hmm. and understanding yourself in relationship through that yes yes absolutely well you know to me that how can you how can you even do magic if you're not in communion with the whole right how can you even engage if you're not part of it so uh -huh. it's just a starting point sure yeah right so to me yes you know, to me, that's, that's just the beginning. And as I say, it's an argument very often, mm. you know, and that's where the mar magical part of it comes in. The fact that you talk back, the fact that you compel, the fact that you add symbols and ritual ingredients and mm -hmm. perhaps times of day, you know, if you're into that side of the electional practice, whatever it is, it is, um, there is a sort of a outrageous um, boldness, I think, to magic in saying that I can do these things regardless of what is already decreed by fate. So, you know, here we get into that whole question of determinism versus agency, because yeah. I believe that, you know, when you are at the center of... Um, of this moment, call it the oracular moment or the backstage or whatever it is, there is flex, you know, there is, there is room for negotiation. There is symbolic drift and archetypal drift, right? So you get to say, you get some say in how you want that to express in your life. So, you know, um, I think that, you know, if I get the tower card, for example, you know, I'm going to do a number of different things to make sure that that card eventuates or to try and argue that that card eventuate in my life in a particular way, rather than another way, if yeah, you know what I sure. mean. Yeah. I have, I have definitely drawn my cards the day, looked at it and said, mm -hmm. Screw you, universe. I say no to this and put it back in and be like, I'm taking it. I've done that. Like, I say, I reject magic. the. Yeah, exactly. This See, I normally reject. I do not do that. I do not. I never do that because I feel that, you know, that is for me a core part of my practice to accept and to argue, you know, mm -hmm. and to, to, to change the shape of mm -hmm. what is coming into something I can accept because I believe that, you know, there is a better and a worse response. Mm. to everything that happens, you know, and a better and a worse way to shape it. Sure. So, yeah. Mm -hmm.
Hey, folks. I just want to jump in here for a second and remind people that the Hermit's Lamp is also a store. So I have an online store and an in-person store in Toronto that sells over 400 tarot decks, 300 kinds of crystals, and incense, incense holders, candles, oils, and all the magical goodies you might want for whatever spiritual practice you were up to. I think we have great prices on stuff. Everything is sourced to the best of my ability to be authentic. And we offer uh, pickup or in-store shopping when it's not COVID in Toronto. And we offer delivery just about anywhere in the world. So do me a favor. Next time you're thinking about stuff, drop by thehermitslamp.com. Check it out. See if we've got something you need there. Because I always appreciate that support. Well, so I guess for me, um, there are a few things to say about it. Mm-hmm. One, uh, my my reading of for the day, when I do my reading for the day, um, is only ever one question. And that question is, how do I show up fully today? Mm-hmm. That's the only question that I ever really pay attention to when I'm reading the cards for the most part. Unless I'm like, huh, should I teach uh, esoteric tarot or should I teach like, you know, fortune telling this next <laughs> semester, you know, like I'll, I'll use tarot to sort that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, magic, magic is like what's happened for me over time, you know, so I was heavily into ceremonialism for a long time, you know, into all sorts of groups and doing all sorts of initiations. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I used to spend uh, an hour a day doing mantra, an hour a day sitting, doing breathing, and then probably about another hour a day of ritual and stuff like that for years on end, right? Like I did Mm -hmm. tons and tons of things. And then when I became initiated as a priest of Shango in the Afro-Cuban lineage, um, I walked away from all of it. I don't do I don't do almost any of that stuff anymore. And so a lot of what used to be magical in my life is now now exists within that religious structure. Right? And in community. Yeah. And, and in community and in mm-hmm. relationship to guidance from elders and you know and from spirit directly and so on, right? So so for me, when I really have questions, I just speak to my elder and do traditional divination and, and go down that road. And so I don't, I, I, uh, maybe three years ago, mm-hmm. I decided that I was done with astrology forever and I was no longer going to look at it. <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I don't pay attention to it anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about it a bunch with Jen Zart in the last episode I did with her, um, you know, and, but I just realized that I'm like, there's, if I'm fully committed to this religious structure, there's no astrology within it. Therefore, mm-hmm. why am I, why am I playing with astrology? What am I doing here? You know, it okay. was too, um, too counter to it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. or a lot of it was, a lot of it was difficult to reconcile. Right. And I think that this idea of esotericism, especially like golden dawn era, you know, Victorian esotericism that everything is the same at some level, I think is untrue. 
Wait, that, what do you mean by everything is the same at some level? Well, I think that the Golden Dawn posited that everything could be integrated into their system. Everything, oh, right. Yes. Everything yeah. had a place. Yeah. Everything could be mm-hmm. understood through their system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's the height of uh, colonial and Victorian mindset, right? right? If we if we understand this enough, we will be able to, you know, understand things that we don't we don't know through this system. We'll be able to just integrate and bridge into them. And I think that, you know, especially the Golden Dawn mashed a lot of stuff together and, you know, did all mm-hmm. sorts of things that are not necessarily um that were more you can say cultural appropriation it's all right sure i I was gonna say i was actually gonna say i think they were uh more more interested in proving that everything was the same than Mm -hmm. they were interested Mm -hmm. in in deeply understanding what's going on in other systems right Mm. so yeah yeah well who can say what their actual motivations were they're uh-huh. not there. They're not here for us to talk to. I mean, we and should do a as, seance episode. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely should. We absolutely should. And, you know, I mean, all magicians, you have to say, have been guilty at some point through the centuries of mixing and matching, right? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, they're not alone in that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, we don't have to accept everything about the Golden Dawn to use some of it, right? Of course, absolutely. Right. Yep. You know, and if if it's there and it, you know, and if, if it works for you and if some of those structures are, you know, have an affinity for the way you're set up, mm-hmm. then then it's a match, right? Mm-hmm. But I can totally see how when you went deeply into another tradition, you found it, you could not reconcile them. That makes a great deal of sense to me. And to me, it's sort of like, you know, when in the production of meaning, which goes on in what we do, you know, we're bringing ourselves to it. And Mm -hmm. that, that means that that ingredient of the self, you know, it's going to be the, the connection, the magic that happens, the interpretation, the meaning that arises is only ever going to make sense if you bring everything that you've got to it, right? So if what everything you've got happens to be located in a completely different place, you know, then, then of course you're not going to be able to just mash anything at an equal valence into, you know, Mm -hmm. into the reading. If you're working within Lukumi tradition, you're not going to, you know, go bring a Solomonic, (laughs) you know, uh, grimoire magic kind of demon into your practice because it just doesn't it just doesn't work right in the context of what you're doing so you know i think it's um it's a negotiation between where you place the boundaries of your own self each time you do this sure Yeah. yeah and i think the the other side of that equation for me is not my personal practice but my mm-hmm. professional practice right as mm-hmm. somebody who reads cards and does magic for people and so on Right. Mm-hmm. And so within that practice, um, I do all sorts of things that are, you know, I guess animists, spirit driven kinds of things uh, would probably be the easiest way to express it if people understand those terms. Um, yeah. But basically, I, I have spirits that I work with who are have expressed a willingness to intercede on other people's behalfs. And then we work out the details between us, you know. And some of that stuff falls back towards, you know, more of this other, mm-hmm. this, this sort of 
you know, Western Golden Dawn things or other things that I have yeah. knowledge about. Um, very rarely is there any planetary stuff involved, generally speaking, but um, except in as much as working with the planets as a force unto themselves, right? So, so I do, so I do have this sort of duality that I bridge, right? Where I don't, I don't work Orisha stuff for people outside of the tradition because it makes no sense. Um, but for clients who want work done, then I do work all sorts of other things that I've been doing for a very long time. So it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of, it's a, it's a little bit like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be an accountant and I'm do your bookkeeping. But in my personal life, yes. I don't do any bookkeeping at all. <laughs> I pay no attention yes. to bookkeeping. I yes, have someone exactly. else do my taxes for me. Yeah, no. And I, I really, you know, value and appreciate <laughs> what you and Aiden, for example, do, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, I think Aiden describes himself as a dirt sorcerer, you know, sure. the idea that you can go out back. And this is something I've done a great deal more of this last year because I'm in the middle of Jack Grail's PGM Praxis course. And, um, and, and, you know, and you do things with sticks and stones and bits of trees and stuff that, you know, isn't something you ever find in book T you know, or 777, but which is coherent to you in some way. Sure. which makes sense to you in some way. So, you know, to me, becoming immersed in all of these traditions isn't about the specific recipe, but the theory behind it, the idea that there are things that you can do mm -hmm. if you have, you know, certain, if you combine words and things and your connection to whatever it is you're connected to. So to me, that's, that's where I'm going ultimately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that for me, the thing that I that I carry most from my esoteric time mm -hmm. was the was the development of the capacity to connect to something other than myself. Yes, right, and not yes. just in terms of like uh, astral projection or inner work or creative, uh, active imagination or you know those things, but but yeah. actual connection to entities that have their own discrete existence completely devoid of human interact like outside of human things they still exist yeah. right yeah and i think that for me that's the piece that continues you know and that that capacity which i opened up through all those tools continues mm -hmm. now all the time right so when i'm like you know sitting and talking to the tree and the tree's like hey you know what you should do you should do this with me and blah 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 blah, blah. and i'm like cool and we'll just have this whole thing and then i'll go and i'll <laughs> yeah. read about it later i'll be like oh yeah look at that there's there is yeah. there's this footnote over here where there's that correlation to this idea right right um, right you know so mm -hmm. so now i now i tend to work in reverse which is i'll spend a lot of time with the thing in and of itself mm -hmm. and then i'll and then i'll see if there's a history associated with that as well mm -hmm. right Not that, that makes right. breaks it for me right. um but where there is that history for it, then I'm way more convinced that I'm not mixing up the, the system a little more in the mix, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think these days a lot about, you know, the relationship of meaning and doubt and that, you know, one of the things that happens when we study systems is that it, I think that it can introduce a great deal of doubt into the equation, right? Mm -hmm. Because it makes you start thinking, well, if this, table is so incredibly specific about what belongs to what, then I might be doing it wrong. 
you know, and what do you do when there's um, something that's not reconcilable, when there's two different versions, you know, and it just introduces many opportunities for you to question what you're doing. And, you know, so one of the things that I think about the production of meaning is that it is, um, it exists in inverse proportion to doubt, right? So when we are doing something back there, <laughs> you know, in nature, you know, the, you, we are doing it in the presence of doubt and fighting doubt. You know, I mean, it's almost as if in the sense since that courage exists in the presence of fear, it's not the absence of fear. Meaning arises in the presence of doubt, not in the absence of doubt. So, you know, to me, what, what my practice has sort of forced me to do is, um, deal with this sort of enormous amount of tabular information and say, you know what, I'm still going to have things that I believe, that I believe are meaningful to me, regardless of how fractal we get with, you know, sure. with which Sephira goes with which planet, et cetera, et cetera, you know, because ultimately um, that willingness to kind of put yourself on the line is what matters. Sure. How about you, Mel? Does doubt factor into it for you? Does what factor into it? Does doubt? Doubt? Oh, of course doubt factors into it. Yeah. I think we bring our own meaning to things. And, you know, Susie mentioned the dirt saucery that Aiden watched her does. And I really resonate with his approach because that's something I've been doing since I was a little kid. You know, you go out in the woods and you you find this deer bone and, and you ascribe some magical meaning to it and you make it into a little fetish or you grind it up and you do something and, and you're convinced and you're you just know that this is going to do this. You don't, no one told mm -hmm. you. You yeah. just, you just feel it and you just, you just go with it. Mm -hmm. And um, I do a lot of that myself, but do, do you, is there a moment where you go, what are you doing? You're grinding up this deer bone you found on the ground. And, <laughs> what are you doing? Why, and why are you doing it? Is it going to do anything? Would you tell anyone you're doing it? You know? <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. um, you just, you just have to go with it and know that it's going to do something. And sometimes, you know, like with, I had, I had this interesting experience recently with sigil magic where, you know, I wanted to make a sigil for something and um, I started to, you know, do the process and I had, I had only really roughly drawn it out. And, you know, usually I get out paint and I do it really pretty, make a nice mm -hmm. pretty one. And I roughly drew it out and I got interrupted and I had to go out for a walk um, with uh, my husband and I was just, I just, I just put it down and, and said, okay, well, I'll do this later. And wouldn't you know, the thing manifested on the walk instantly, miraculously. <laughs> and I was just like, holy shit. Well, that one wanted to happen. You know, it was, it was, um, yeah, you know, and, and how, I, I didn't even think that I had finished the process yet. And yet I guess I did. Right. <laughs> Maybe that was part of the, um, you know, no lust of result. I was just put it down. It's like, okay, whatever. I'm done with this for now, you know, and, and I guess yeah. it was done enough. So yeah. things happen. Yeah, they do. Things happen. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the process of, for me, for me, uh, more often than not, the, the process is the, is the magic, right? Yeah. And the yeah. result is yeah. lovely. I have like all sorts of sigils and other things around the studio here and so on. And, you know, 
I like to make things pretty, so I think they're pretty good looking. Yeah. <laughs> but but the process of making them is more the work than than the actual anything else. Sometimes yes. I do a lot of other stuff with them. Right. But as often as not, it's really just a matter of the process of doing the work is the work. And right. This right. Is the refining, remainder of the work, right? Refining that in mm-hmm. refining your intention is all like you have to be very specific about what you want. And it, it requires you to really think about your phrasing and you're doing something to yourself asking. right you're definitely doing something to yourself it's not the point yes. is not necessarily the object mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah when i think that a lot of the the magic that i do these days if there's magic that i do as such in relationship to me is predominantly identity magic right mm-hmm. basically just adjusting mm-hmm. myself mm. this way or that way a bit to to get a better result from a given situation, you know, kind of an Andrew tune-up. <laughs> Be sure, great if you were like five percent more charming and two percent less grumpy on this particular event. So why don't we why don't we just tweak that there, you know? Yeah, and you do that through self-portraits to some extent, right? It's true. I haven't done any in a while, but I've been thinking mm-hmm. about them again. So I feel like it's time to to revisit that magical self-portrait stuff that I was doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who don't know about it, the magical self-portrait stuff started as uh, an invocation of my future self to now so that I could get more information about what I needed to do and what was sort of on target and off target for a bunch of things that I was trying to navigate. So, Well, that seems very consistent with Aiden's um, black book process, actually, you know, <laughs> the idea yeah. of uh, working with your future, whatever that is, self. Yeah. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My future self's a pretty funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, um, I, I think a lot about that, you know, having a decent relationship with the future self, because one always assumes that the future self is going to view the present self with nothing but contempt. But mm. <laughs> in fact, you know, I think that if you can get to have a, a, a relationship of, you know, respect and forgiveness with your, with all your future and past selves, I mm-hmm. think you can find yourself in a much better place. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think, I think that uh, it benefits us on all levels for our current self and our future self to have nothing but compassion, right? For sure. I think that for that's sure. so helpful when we can manage it because life is complicated and difficult and, you know, we, we got to, we got to trust that we're trying to do the best we can, even if it's not ideal, right? Absolutely. There are some really good Buddhist practice that involve doing just that, like Mm -hmm. offering compassion to your, your past self. And I suppose you could extend that and do it to your future self as well, because (laughs) we know we're all going to make more mistakes. Sure. Mm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and especially during this time in which we find ourselves now, it's like just, just getting through the day is good. You know, gold star for completing your day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I remember seeing early in the pandemic, someone had like a little sticker that said, I showered. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I picture, I picture my guardian angel in uh, kind of acting like a uh, elf um from you know that movie elf right buddy yeah the elf, yeah yeah sure right? he's like you did it you made it you finished the day you got back to bed good job 
<laughs> just unbridled yeah. enthusiasm you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah because um yeah I, and i think also you know the the isolation of this past year has you know really you know been hmm, been interesting for people you know everybody reacts differently and it throws you back on yourself you know i've i've thought about the way that you know, if you if you remember before the pandemic, what it was like to travel. When you travel, when you when you leave your comfortable place, you become a different person and you learn something about yourself. But also being by yourself or it, with a limited number of people for a year teaches you something about yourself as well. So you know, that's something I'm thinking about because I'm got having gotten this hermit card today. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, and and there are lessons to be gained from either, you know, from either end of the spectrum. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe let's let's talk briefly about uh, before wrapping up today. Maybe if people are excited about this kind of idea, where do you start? Because I can tell you, starting with Crowley is a bad idea. Like, you know people people ask me how i learned the toth book like how i learned yeah. toth tarot and the and people used to ask me like what, what's a good book on it? and i'm like the book of toth by alistair crowley why would you read anything else and then i went back and reread it and i was like why why was i saying that to people it's it's i mean it is a great book to read on it and it is inscrutable and difficult and you yes. know and the fact yes. that i spent probably about 15 years with the deck and that book yeah. And I read that book like a hundred plus times led to what I know about it, but that's not the place to start. That's a bad idea. Just like Crowley's ideas. It might not be a bad it. idea. It's, it's, that's you know, it's the person. journey. Yeah. I used to say that that book would be one to have on a desert Island, but only if you could have all the other books referenced in it, yes. <laughs> you'd, you'd be busy for the rest of your life. It's true. Yeah. You know, I, I tend to think that if people are just getting started, you know, I always, I think everyone should read tarot. I think that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think everyone should read esoteric tarot, sure. but I think everyone should read tarot because it will make your life better. And mm-hmm. what I tell people often, because my, when I teach tarot, because I don't teach it in an esoteric way, I say, just, you know, just draw cards, just draw cards every mm-hmm. day and see what happens, you know, because tarot will tell you, <laughs> you know, if you let it keep track of, I tell people to track, which is not for everyone, obviously, you know, not everyone's Virgo like me, but, but, you know, if you just keep track of what happens in your day and, and use your imagination to see how that connects to your cards, it will give you something every single day. And the other thing is that like, it becomes a way of mm, having something to bounce off of you know i tell people if nothing else your card of the day is there to help you at those moments during the day when you're confused or scared or you know or you don't know what to do or you're just buffering you know it's there to give you something to think about and perhaps in that process what meaning arises will give you some sense of what you are meant to do ultimately Mm. in your time on this earth Mm-hmm. you know long term so i just tell people to just draw cards and see what happens you know and and not and not be too fussy about what should happen or you know i think i think that uh not too fussy but also 
also not too doubtful. Because one of the things that I think that we do as moderns is we kind of reflexively diminish what's numinous. You know, got a funny feeling, feel strange, write it off, right? Yeah. But one thing that tarot, I think, helps people do is reconnect with that moment where you get a chill down your spine and follow that and see where it goes mm -hmm. in a spirit of openness. Yeah. How about you, Mel? Where, where, do, where do you point people to start? Is, is it the book of Toth for you? Is it something else? What, to start what, tarot in general? Well, to start, to start getting, not even tarot, but like if people are already reading tarot and they're kind of like, huh, I'm curious about this esoteric mm -hmm. thing. I think that everybody's gateway is a little different. Sure. You know, for some, it's going to, it's going to come from the astrology that they're really attracted to or already know mm -hmm. as their framework. And then they want to see how that works with tarot or for other people, they might be really attracted to the Kabbalah for other people. It's really an intuitive thing and a mm -hmm. psychic process. And so I don't think there's a one size fits all. This is how you start you find what draws you. And then once you get that little toe in the door, you're, if it's meant to be, you're going to get hooked and you're going to start doing this and that. And it's going to lead you like a stepping stone through all these other things, you know, but you have to start with where you're at and, and what you're drawn to. Yeah, once you get your toe in the door, the tentacle of esotericism will pull you Wraps inside. around your waist. <laughs> You'll never get away. You in. <laughs> Into the wormhole. Into the wormhole. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my advice is, is basically similar, right? Like figure out what you're excited about. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it all. Like people often say like, well, I, I just get so overwhelmed looking at the top deck and I'm like, you don't need to read everything. You don't need to yeah. learn every symbol. Right. Like, I don't even think that I know every symbol still, you know, even after spending yeah. so long with it, right? Like I've been working with that deck for 36 years now or something like that, you know, yeah. and it's like, there, I still occasionally see things that I feel like I've never seen before. So, yeah. And I tell people that like, at some level, there is no novice tarot reader, you know, it's sort of like you look at the card and something jumps out at you and you have a reading, you know, if yeah. even if you've never looked at tarot before. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people do that, you know, that you know, given, you know, just with friends or whatever, having a reading and then be like, well, what do you see? And, and all of a sudden they'll, they'll come out with some great shit. Mm -hmm. yeah, they don't know. Sure. They don't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. but they do. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been delightful and I feel like we could keep chatting and chatting, but, <laughs> I, but I think we should wrap it up here. Um, for folks who want to come and follow what you're doing out there, where should they come track you down? Where are you uh, hanging out or not hanging out? What's, what's around for you? Uh, yeah. So um, central clearinghouse for me is www.tsusanchang.com. And I also, if people want to reach out on social media, I usually direct them to the fortunes wheelhouse Academy Facebook page. There's like 900,000 people on there, but they're um, it's free to anyone to join and I'm there every day and it's a way of just connecting and having a community. Uh, also, I've got the Etsy shop and, you know, I'll just throw a couple more URLs out there. The Etsy shop where I make cases and perfumes is at etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And then for the podcast, we're at uh, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Great. 
And how about you, Mel? I, I understand you're not much for social media, but uh, I'm I'm not on any social media, uh-huh. honestly. Um, I, unless you count the Patreon page for Fortune's Wheelhouse as social media, um, I just don't have enough hours in my day or inclination for that sort of thing. But I do have a blog at www.tabulamundi.com, and I have you know several decks and books that I sell. Um, the Rosetta Tarot was my first deck. Mm-hmm. My second deck was the Tabula Mundi, and that has a couple of different editions of it. Um, and then I did a majors only deck called the Pharos. And now I'm working on a fourth deck that um, is as yet unnamed, but that I'm in the process of going decken by decken and uh, incorporating the decken imagery from 777 primarily um, into the artwork for the minor cards, as well as looking at other sources like the Picatrix and Agrippa and Liber Hermetis and, and stuff like that, and kind of cherry picking some fun stuff out of those. Um, so any of the decks and the books that go with them can be found at um, www.tarotcart.com. Perfect. Oh, right. And uh, let me just uh, just uh, give a last plug for for the books. Well, the book, the joint production, of course, is Tarot Deciphered, which Mel and I just published with Llewellyn, uh, Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot. That is essentially a... uh, 600 and something page tome that uh, is the sort of book version of the first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse, but expanded and, you know, and, uh, and made consistent and um, revised. And then I've got uh, tarot correspondences from 2018, which people use as a sort of guide to the tarot specific parts of 777 it's a it's a way of sort of bringing all of the post golden dawn references that are embedded in uh in english school tarot decks you know um, non-marseille tarot decks and putting it in one place so that you can work with them and then i've got um 36 secrets which came out at the beginning of this year and which is uh which is my everything i have to say about the miners kind of in the same way that mel's doing her decanic deck um and which interestingly began with you know a reference to what happened to you in with your uh because it was my deck and walk that began in march 2019 i guess mm-hmm. which was sure. when you had your catastrophic event at your store correct and, yeah. yeah so the great fire the great fire mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool well go and check them out and uh as mm-hmm. always i am at the hermit's lamp basically everywhere you might look if you search for that that i probably am there Um, But thank you both for making time to hang out with me today. It's been delightful. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much, Andrew. It's really been fun. All right, folks, that is episode 118, which is episode three of the spring season. Still to come are conversations with Maria Minnis, as well as my friends, uh, Stacking Skulls, and my Lakumi elder, uh, Willie Ramos. Uh, those will be coming weekly for the next few weeks, and uh, I hope you enjoy them. Please do support the podcast by 